Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Well, we'll edit that part out. Okay. I got a lot of, still got a lot of, I got a lot of headroom here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Pete Rollins, director. I'd like to thank my crew, my assistant, Peter Rollins. He wants his art to be shown off. Yeah, yeah, that's nice stuff. <laughs> Can we send people to their, his website? Does he have a website, your buddy? Uh, that's John McCormick. Um, he's on, John, he's McCormick. on the, John McCormick. He's on the Insta. You want some John McCormick art? You want people to think you're a serial killer? <laughs> my little apartment looks like a serial killer apartment. Hey everybody, you can join me in 30 minutes for cultural <laughs> concepts. Uh, I'll be doing a discussion downstairs. I'll be talking all about the hysteric and the analyst. Oh, that's yeah. nice. So, Will that be available later? Can I send up the Zoom link? Can I just put the Zoom link in the comments section? <laughs> well, 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 well. Look at this. Look, this guy, he's just got like, since he, he comes here for a few days, and all there is is dozens of. Diet Cokes everywhere. Yeah. Well, at least I don't dry, drink the blood of the innocent, Pete. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are you greet? They like to greet our neighbors. We greet our neighbors, so people always talk to each other. It's very nice. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Is, that number will jump up to three hundred in a few minutes. Yeah, that's we know. There's some mistake there. It <laughs> just says twenty-one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe it's. Uh, yeah, this is the. Uh, <laughs> The early crowd. This is there is a the... problem with Facebook? Maybe you should contact <laughs> Facebook about that. So people mustn't be able to log on. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's the, uh... You just lost two. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, uh, well, there's Pete Rollins. I'm here in Los Angeles, California, for a special treat for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> you like to see tour around the country, different backgrounds. So here we are in uh, California. Oh, hello from Palm Springs. I love Palm Springs. Oh, it's funny, you went off the camera, the numbers jumped back up. Oh, probably gonna jump back down again. Well, we I found, hang around now. found yeah. your grandpa's sweatshirt, sweater. Good old Irish sweater. So last week I wasn't here because... He messed up. <laughs> <laughs> Because Facebook is trying to censor, censor you. my words of truth. Shutting you down. <laughs> I won't let the word be hidden under a bushel. Um, so here I am in LA, uh, hanging out with Pete this week. Um, kids are with their mom, obviously, and we're having a good time. Pete spoke, did a, an event, a live event last night. For the fundamentalists, no, the, um, the minimalists. First time I'd done a live event for ages because of COVID. So that was pretty cool. You know, yeah, twenty people there. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good luck, right, Mr. Good Rollins, luck. with yeah. your event. Remember telling by wake. Oh yeah, <laughs> wake, wake, wake and bake. Yeah. I am going to be speaking at Wake this year in Northern Ireland, and. Um, Pete is putting together a really cool program for Wake this year. It hasn't happened for two years because of COVID, obviously. Um, but uh, I'll be there. Barry Taylor will be there. Pete will be there. And they have a bunch of special guests that I'm not allowed to announce yet. Um, but go check out Peter Rollins stuff and check out Wake. You know, you might want to just say, hey, it's been a long time. Maybe I need to go to Belfast. And um, I'll tell you, it's worth it, you know. Some of you who work at churches, if you guys had like a budget to go do events, just waste it all on this one because it's really good. How many uh, retreats do you get to go to where there's a pub crawl at the end and uh, like a Moulin Rouge styles events, but it's really great. So it's, it's a fa fantastic thing. Um, so yeah, yeah, sorry last week didn't happen and finally, <clears throat> I got a hold of Google and everything and it finally loaded like three days later. And so I, I did a Galatians 2 talk for everybody to put up. But then I was like, you know what? I, I'd rather just wait and do it live because I feel like I, it's nicer to do 
with you guys and to go through it together. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, my, my buddy Bob says, so glad you were there, looking good. I appreciate that, Bob. You know, um, a few, about a week or two ago, uh, you know, I, I was really going through a dark time um, with stuff with my dad and with the breakup that I had gone through. And, um, you know, I woke up a few days ago or a week, a week and a half ago and just felt better. And I'm still seeing my analyst and we're working through this stuff, but it was, it was really nice to kind of like, you know, you got to mourn things. And, and I found that, you know, for me, mourning takes a few months, you know, and sometimes it takes a lifetime, but I really just really had to go into a dark place and allow myself to be there and deal with that stuff and, and let go, you know, but I had to mourn it. And I find that extremely important. Um, you know, when my mom first passed and my marriage, the first marriage fell apart, I did not do a lot of mourning. And by not mourning, uh, I kind of put it off for three years and it really, really devastated me. And um, so mourning, I can't tell you how important it is to mourn those we lose who passed, but also those who live when people leave our lives. So I'm really, really grateful to be in a better place in my life right now. So there you go. Um, so we're in Galatians, uh, my favorite book in the Bible. Um, and we, we talked a lot about it, why it, it seems to be kind of a, a, a book that evolves with us and grows with us and uh, how it can af uh, kind of affect the the atmosphere that we're in today in this country of, uh, of being so split and divided and how do we work through that division? And I think what we, if we do pay attention to Paul's words and realize this community that is so divided is that, you know, you have folks who are tr traditionally grew up Jewish, you know, have, brought Christianity into their Judaism and you know this is their life this is their faith this is their life these customs and these uh, circumcision and not eating meat to idols and celebrating holiday certain holidays and holding things sacred you know this is their, their this has been their life you know they spent their life doing these things and um and you have this new group of Gauls coming in, you know, who have been, for most part, uh, almost like a warrior culture, you know, and, and very different type of people. They look different. They think different. They talk different. Their culture is different. But this community is coming together, and it's divided over tradition. And I think um, lifelong traditions, you know, and I think that's what we see a lot in this country. Politics and prejudices and uh, things that you know change. Change is scary. Um, change is tough, and, and uh, we go through that. And how do we make room for that? And, and how do we take each other along on the journey? You know, um, and I think Galatians does that well. Um, someone said uh, when we talked a couple weeks ago. You know, saying like, you know, Galatians seems a bit harsh to be a letter, you know, and, and someone also saying this about their, that they were in seminary and that the seminary was teaching, uh, one of the professors was teaching how it was such a harsh letter. And so people go like, well, how is this harsh letter really about grace? And I think we often mistakenly want to just assign grace to love and be like, oh, well, it's just grace is just, mm, you know, and it, it, but to really practice grace we have to be willing to have hard conversations. Uh, grace is not a lack of truth, uh, but truth is cruelty without a lack of without a lack of grace. Truth becomes cruelty if it lacks grace. So what we're trying to say here is 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 that in our truths, in our understandings, in our conflicts, is it's great to have grace there. And what you're going to see with what we see with the Galatians, what we see with, with this community is that you have two groups with truths. 
And these truths come together and seem like contradictions. But these, both of these groups hold these truths dearly to them. You understand? And so, you know, you go, well, one's got to be right, one's got to be wrong. And I've talked about this last week or a couple weeks ago as I said, you know, we've got to stop thinking of the words like contradiction is a bad word. Because um, if you study Hegel, Hegel does not allow contradiction to be, or dialectics to be something negative. It's actually something very positive and something that helps us grow into our humanity. Um, also, compromise. You know, the word compromise cannot be, can't be seen as negative either because grace has to do with compromise. And they're like, you know, like, no compromise, no this, no that, you know. And, and what we're going to look at here is, is radical grace, radical contradictions, uh, and maybe even radical compromise and how that can actually help us be a better community, better humans, if we're able to do that. And, and so this book is really challenging. This is where the rubber kind of hits the road. Um, and this is where grace becomes something that's um, truly beautiful. It's, uh... anyway, let's get into it. Let's go ahead and get into it. We're here. 14 minutes into it already, so let's go. Um, we're here in Galatians 2, so Galatians 2, part 2. Um, Paul has obviously been uh, defending himself to this community because part of the community is saying that Paul is not a real apostle and that maybe they shouldn't listen to him in order to force others to be like them, in order to get others to be uh, circumcised. And Paul had just said that, you know, people were, he was talking about how people have been, you know, thanking God for his conversion because how he violently persecuted Christians before and how he was converted. Um, but what's great about this is he's really trying to ask the group of Judaizers, as they were called at this time, uh, Jewish Christians, to show more grace and to be more open and he's not coming from a strange place because he's saying, I, my whole life, have followed these traditions and held them very sacred. And um, matter of fact, I, 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 I came after Jewish Christians and persecuted them because I didn't think they were holding it up high enough. So, you know, he's trying to say, like, I know where you're coming from and I understand. So in some way, his defense of himself is also him saying, I can empathize where you're at because I was there and now I'm moving somewhere else. And, and this is tough for a lot of us because we have our, our sacred cows and we like to other people because when we other people, it helps us feel better about ourselves. But often when we're, we're othering them, we're projecting things on our own selves and we think they look strange. Um, but only by sitting down and having tough conversations can we understand why maybe we seem strange to them as well. And that's where empathy and understanding come in. And um, so, as I was saying before, yeah, a harsh letter. Um, but, you know, you've also got to look at that Paul is laying down the groundwork, not just for a movement or for a revolution, if you will, um, but he is really, like, he's seen a faith transition. He's seen a faith uh, evolve. He's, it's, it's a moment of um, great change, you know, here we go, Galatians 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again back to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Tyrus along with me. I went up there in response to a revelation that I had laid, that <clears throat> revelation, then I laid before them, though only a private meeting with the acknowledged leaders, the gospel that proclaimed amongst, the, the gospel that I proclaim amongst the Gentiles. So the gospel that I proclaim amongst the others. In order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. And when Paul talks about running or running a race, he's literally talking about our life, like from the beginning to the end. And he's saying, you know, this is part of my life. This is my story and that my story hasn't been in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled to be circumcised. Though he was Greek, but because of false believers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy on our freedom we have in Christ Jesus so they might enslave us. We did not submit to them even for a moment 
so that the truth of the gospel might always remain with you. And from those supposed and from those who were supposed to be acknowledged leaders, what they actually were makes no difference to me. God shows no favorites. Those leaders contributed nothing to me. On contrary, when I saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel for the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter makes him apostle to the circumcised also works through me in sending me to the Gentiles. So Paul is saying, you know, this is God. This is the mood. This is what's happening. Peter, the same God that works through Peter is the same God that works through me. Like, you know, these aren't different gods. These aren't different gospels. This is the same message here. What's interestingly enough is he's, he's showing this story because he's saying, like, I spoke to them, but here's a community now where you have both of them together. So it's not just like I'm, we're, we're going to be separate communities, separate but equal, right? Like, um, what was the animal farm? But he's saying, you know, we're, this is a separate community, but coming together. So now we have to deal with this. What happens when we become community, when we become human friends and family? Um, but what's interesting here is he goes, but they bought in false believers, secretly brought in those who slipped in to spy on our freedom. And so you, you see here is that this is something we often see with, I saw growing up with evangelicals. Um, to the point where, you know, my parents were so big in the Christian world that I remember when um, it was uh, when Jerry, Jimmy Swagger had his fall, um, the guy who, who orchestrated that had actually hired a private detective to follow Jimmy Swagger around to find out what he was doing. And he was angry because Jimmy Swagger had hurt a lot of people but he hired a private detective and he actually called my dad the day before he released the photos um, telling my dad what to do. And I remember being on the floor in Palm Springs, California. And I remember my dad saying, there's gotta be another way. Maybe you should just go straight to him. The church has suffered so much with everything, with our scandal and everything that it's been going through. Maybe you need to just, you know, reach out to Jimmy Swagger personally and, and try to help him. Um, that did not happen. Um, but my point here is that, you know, we've always seen like if we expose someone for what they really are, which is often human or different than us, um, we do things like we have cancel culture now and things like that. Well, you don't think like me. You don't, you know, and we don't have a lot of nuance. We don't make room for nuances in people's lives. We think, well, if you're not vaccinated, you must be an anti-vaxxer. If you're vaccinated, you must be all you know what I mean? We just throw everybody into this one thing and assume, and then we just go straight to war or we go straight to separating one another. And if there's anything that I've learned from the Gospels and from Galatians, but also the Gospels as well, is that we are never called to separate ourselves from each other. You know, um, Jesus shows, you know, you, you can't expect certain people to change because you're always going to be living amongst them. You're always going to be in community with people who are different than us. Um, I know when I was a kid growing up in, in the, and I went to a Baptist church for a while, you know, they're always saying, you know, don't hang out with certain groups of people, you know, youth group, you know, you don't want to hang out with the bad kids, you don't want to do this, you know, and then when I started reading the Bible for myself, I'm going like, but that's exactly who Jesus hung out with were those who were the outcasts and those who are different. And so there's always this idea of, of, of being separate, you know, and what Paul's trying to do is bring a community together. Um, one of the other things I think that's really beautiful about this is when he's saying what those leaders were makes no difference to me. He judges them harshly and then he goes, but well, you know, actually who they were with it doesn't make any difference to me. And I'm thinking these are big guys. I'm thinking James is one of the, maybe one of these guys. Um, cause James's crew seems to start cause a lot of trouble in this. We'll get a little further. You'll see even some more. Um, and maybe not James directly, but maybe some of James's disciples. Um, but what I love this here is where Paul says it did make no, what actually were makes no difference to me because God shows no partiality. Like, you know, growing up, I remember being around all these pastors and preachers, you know, and, 
and people are like, oh, you've got to respect the man of God. You know, you've got to elevate the man of God. And so we put these men and these human beings or the woman of God, you know, because in some ways of God, you could be women preachers, which I think is awesome and good. But, you know, appear on this pedestal and then you like hold them in a, you know, so of course, when you find out they're human beings, you're devastated because you've put them up here because they're not down here with us. And what Paul's saying is like, it doesn't matter if someone is a prophet or a preacher or a teacher. They're no different than you. God has no favorites. And so when we think we're going at war with people on God's behalf or we're tearing others down on God's behalf, you know, and that you're on God's side, God doesn't prefer you over them. And that's what grace makes grace really great is that you are accepted, that grace moves outside of any theology, philosophy, political party, uh, sexuality, race, you know, grace just moves through it all. And, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for people like Dr. King who saw that and realized that his enemies were not the enemy, but they were actually victims and victims of misinformation. And I feel like that's kind of what Paul's trying to do is say, I'm not saying that you have to change your traditions. I understand they're sacred. But what I'm saying is, is there's no reason to push those traditions onto them because it's not going to add to their lives or take anything away from their lives. And if you practice these things, as long as you remember that that's not what brings you grace, it's not gonna add or take anything away from your life either, you know? And, and, and you also had Paul where Paul said, you know, I'm all things, all people. Like Paul knew that if he was with a group that didn't eat, meat that was sacrificed to idols, he's just, okay, I won't eat that meat. You know, he, he respected others' convictions and beliefs, even though he would go sit down with another group who ate sacrificed animals, you know, and he well, serve it up, you know. It was one of these things where he respected uh, diversity of thoughts and even diversities of convictions, as long as those convictions weren't being forced on others to make them think that that somehow made them accepted. You know, this is, this is really good stuff because this is really what Paul's saying here. This is what the Bible's saying here. And I think we uh, are in a world where Christianity is, is a very different faith when, when another good news in a way that people follow and think it's about elitism or special clubs or even like now more progressive Christians think it's about like, well, we got to get rid of those who think differently than us. Or, you know, I've heard people say, well, if your family voted for Donald Trump, then you just have to ignore that, You're, you know, ignore your family and just let them go. And for me, I'm saying, no, you need to have tough conversations with your family when you can. If it's too hard for you, too triggering, I understand doing it from a distance, but it's not giving up on them. You know, it's not kicking them out. We're not going to do the same things that evangelicals told their, their people, you know, to do to their gay kids, to kick them out. You know, it's just, you know, legalism just moves in different ways. And it continuously, legalism wants to do us and them. And what he, Paul's saying is like, this is not how it works. We have to have tough conversations. We're going to have to see some things, say some things that seem harsh and are going to be very hard for people to understand. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is how we build community. And, you know, talking to Pete even about, you know, Pete was talking yesterday when he was uh, talking to the minimalists. They asked him about the troubles and, and the division in Northern Ireland. And, you know, it, it's like, and these were both Christian, you know, one was, you know, Catholic and one was Protestants. But, but the idea is, is like, I feel like sometimes we are headed in that direction of almost like a red line and a blue line. Because often, our, our, sadly, our politics influence our faith more than our faith influences our politics. And sometimes, we, and I look at this blue and the red and I think, you know, when I look at my politicians in this country, I go, there's not much of a difference. They all have like five or six things that, you know, I know are important to people, but it's, a lot of it's still driven by finances and money and dominate, being dominant and war and things like that. And I don't think those are things that should be necessarily driving our faith, I think our, we should be looking at the faith of going like, how does this include the other? How does this cause me to love others well? How does this allow me to have tough conversations? And uh, in a social media world, we, we seem to avoid tough conversations because it's not in a snippet or it's not in this type of thing, or we just fight. 
And as Dr. King said, love is the only force capable of changing an enemy um, into a, uh, ch change an enemy into a uh, friend. I, I see that, uh, and I love Thomas is here because he's close and I I'm gonna let him do a little bit more just interaction with you guys, but I'm gonna see this because I agree with everything Jay says, just wonder how a relationship across these boundaries can be meaningful if, oh gosh, come back. If, and it won't let me go on more. Oh yeah, if, if only one side is willing to take on the perspective of grace. I, I you know, I love that, but that you, you have to look at like, that was what Dr. King's work was so often. When I look at Dr. King, I, I like to look at people other than just Bible characters. You know, how is it meaningful um, to those who don't want to change? You know, one of the things that the relationships I think that Dr. King made with those people who did not recognize his humanity, did not respect him as an equal, did not expect him as a person, he still showed them love, grace, and respect them as humans and equal, is that it exposed the humanity of Dr. King and it exposed their humanity. Um, and so even when our humanity is exposed, even through disagreements, at least that moves us in a little bit of a different level. One of the other great things is that there were television news cameras around showing people getting beaten for no reason, showing this humanity, showing that these are people. And so often when we have these, these really tough relationships that even that people don't respond to, there's still an understanding of humanity. There's still a, I feel like it's a mountain and you got a little chisel and you still, there's still a rock comes down. And sometimes it may be investing in the future. Um, but, but what I, I think about Paul's, what Paul says about love in Corinthians 13, he says, love never gives up, never loses faith. And it says it endures through every circumstance. So for us to love the other, there has to be a type of endurance for us to endure through it. And I've seen change happen. Some of you here are people I've seen change happen in your lives with each other in this community. Um, so the idea is like, you know, yeah, there are some people that I can't talk with and we can't have conversations, but we had the conversations. And what I have to hope is that those moments worked, you know, and, and I love like when, when Jesus is doing the Beatitudes and Jesus says, love your enemies, be kind to those. And he says, pray for those who persecute you. And I think it's interesting if you think about praying for those who persecute you, because it might be saying something like, maybe you don't need to go up and be beaten down and killed, but at least hold them in your prayers, at least hold them in your thoughts. Um, learn how to love them at least from a distance. And me and, and Zoe have, have also talked about how do we love others from a distance. Um, like my father right now, he, he's not, you know, we haven't spoken in over a year, you know? Am I hurt? Yes. Do I wish we would talk and could figure, work this out? Yes. Am I trying to figure out ways to do that? Yes. Do I not love him? Do I hate him? No, I don't hate him. I still love him. But that's the situation I find myself in. And I think, uh, thinking like Brian McLaren had a book, The Story We Find Ourselves In, I think was the subtitle of one of the new kind of Christian books. And I think that's what we have to do is not maybe ask a blanket, well, what do we do if we don't do this? It's what do we do when we find ourselves in that story? You know, because so many people are different so many different life situations that we, we enter into. And so what is, what, what is the moment call for? That's my two cents. Um, I'll continue on and read a little bit more. Let me see if I forgot any of my, my uh... oh, so, you know, like I said before with this, you know, people trying to expose the uncircumcised, uh, that type of thing. Like I said, you know, we've, we've got to make sure that this isn't the, you know, sometimes this is the, the playbook for some types of more conservative Christianity, or sometimes definitely for social media and, and the media and, and, and to expose others um, without giving them the chance, without going to them, without having a tough conversation. And what I think Galatians calls us to do is to go have these tough conversations. And I don't have all the answers. That's why I love what 
you guys are talking about down in the notes is because you guys might be able to come up with better answers for these than me. This is just stuff I've just worked through and thought about and read about and studied about. Um, and when James and Cephas and John were acknowledged pillars, recognized me. See, now he says James recognized him. The grace that had been given to me, they gave to me and Barnabas uh, the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and to the circumcised. And they, us, we go to the Gentiles and they go to the circumcised. They asked only one thing and that we remember the poor, which was actually what I was eager to do. Um, and I love that line is because often, I feel like in this country we, we get the poor and we put, we, we, we put the poor against each other. Um, and we don't realize that people who are poor are a community, are a group of people. Um, and a lot of us are facing poverty more and more nowadays. And, um, and that we remember that, that I think capitalistic ideas come in and try to punish the poor as, oh, they're not working hard enough when some of those people are working more hours than any of us, you know, but they still can't afford rent. They still can't afford health insurance. They still can't afford, I, I understand that. And, and I, I'm there, <laughs> you know? Um, if it wasn't, I just got health insurance last week. It actually doesn't start till February 1st. And it was because of the Affordable Care Act that I'm even able to do that. And, and um, so I'm grateful for, to do that, but it's still like I had to cut other things out of my budget just so I wouldn't go bankrupt if I go to the hospital. You know, so we have all these different types of situations happening. Um, but this is where it gets really interesting for me. Um, you know, uh, the, 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 this clubhouse of, of factions is that we're about to see. It goes, but with Cephas, also another, also Peter, came to Anatoke and I had to oppose him to his face because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. Um, so, so, so Pete, so, so you have Peter who's completely decided to be inclusive, but when someone with power and influence who could maybe he's worried could destroy him or affect his reputation or affect what he does, comes along, he gets scared and moves away. I'll be honest with you that there are sometimes, now that I have children, there are sometimes that there are topics that I get nervous to talk about at Revolution. It was a lot easier when I was just, you know, didn't have kids to take care of and feed and clothe and, and, and you know, um, to fight fights, <laughs> you know. Um, but you get kind of nervous because I'm afraid, what will these, what will the circumcision faction think? What will this group think? Um, honestly, for me lately, it's been more of what will my progressive brothers and sisters think if I bring this topic up, a topic that we should be discussing. But, you know, and there's been times where I've been warned you know, my DMs, and some of you may be those people who've warned me that if you keep going this way or if you talk about this, you know, because that person's canceled, we're cutting them out, you know, and I have to go, well, you know, that's not really what I'm called to do. I'm called to, you know, bring people together, not bring people apart, but they're like, you know, we'll cancel, you'll have nothing left, you know, and, uh, and that's scary. So what I'm trying to say is I can empathize with Peter being afraid when James comes into the group, but also you have to look at like, you're looking at a type of, 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 of religious elitism. You're looking at a type of, 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 of almost racism that's happening here, that Peter is being influenced because he's afraid. But Paul still has to have the tough conversation with Peter. He still has to confront him and, and deal with it. You know? So that's when I say like grace isn't always an easy. Sometimes grace requires us to confront something when we see a lack of it. Now, he doesn't say that Peter's no longer respected. He's, he's actually just shown like he respected Peter's word almost more than any of the Gentile, I mean, any of the disciples or any, uh, uh, you know, 
of the people who walked with Jesus, like Peter seems to be his, his guy. So he's not saying Peter's over and now I am Peter, you know, let's replace Peter. No, but he's saying Peter made a mistake. Peter did something that was going to hurt the community and I had to confront him on that. So I'm not saying we don't confront each other. I'm not saying we just accept injustice, but how do we deal with injustice in a restorative way? That's very important to me. Um, Often I have people say to me, well, Jay, you know, I'm fine about grace and things like that, but if someone does not recognize my humanity or my equality, you know, with them, and my, 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 uh, my ability to have the same rights as you, then I cannot talk, I will not talk to them and I not speak to them. And I do understand that. But I also understand that we have people like Dr. King and people like Gandhi that had they not done that, the world would not be in a, the world would be a worse place off because they weren't, they, they, they weren't willing to talk to people who did not respect them as humans, did not respect their humanity, did not respect their race. You know, so uh, we have to be, and that's also why we have statues of, of, of Dr. King and why we, Gandhi's, you know, someone we, you know, you see and celebrate is because they did something that was radically different. You know, they said, I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to show my enemies that, you know, if they're going to beat us for doing nothing, I'm going to let them see their true nature. And it didn't, nothing changed overnight. That's the problem is I think we just want to see change, like just repentance right away. You know, we want to see people just change their minds right away. And sometimes we don't realize that people have to go through a process because they've spent their whole lives learning misinformation to think that some group's wrong and that they're right and they've been told their whole life and it's impounded into their brain to the point even when they become accepting like Peter did, you know, People come back and trigger those old thoughts and then all of a sudden Peter gets afraid again. You know? So what do we do with Peter? Do we cancel Peter for not, for being, for, for being an elitist and not being inclusive? Or do we go to Peter, say, what are you doing? This has got to change and have the tough conversation and hopefully that, 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 leads to repentance, that that leads to a change that we can see. You see? It's, it's never giving up. This is, this, is, this is following Christianity. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, and you accept Jesus as your savior or whatever, you're a confessional Christian or you're an atheist Christian or you're just interested in that Christianity has some good ideas, this is the kind of the concept of following Christ and following Christianity. This isn't Jay's idea, but I also find that this stuff is backed up by lots of philosophers, lots of great theologians. Um, one of the reasons why Hegel really became to think that Christianity was kind of a special faith in his mind before he had thought that it was just like any other faith, but he kind of felt that there was something unique there because of the concept of grace, because of the radical love that Christianity has in it. And I will say, in some ways it's easier for me to say these things. And in some ways it's not, you know? Um, so when people from James came, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But after that, he came and he drew back and kept himself separate, a fear of the circumcision faction. You know, who do you fear? You've heard the quotes before, like, you know, whoever you fear controls you. And, and that's obviously happening here. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy. So that even Barnabas, Barnabas, who's, traveling with Paul, who's on the same page with Paul. They're talking for days and days as they travel to places. Even Barnabas went and led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, and that's one of the things I'm trying to do is I'm going to say, like, guys, the reason we don't call ourselves a church right now is because I don't feel like the church is acting consistently with the gospel. I don't think it's actually consistently with grace. I don't think it's acting consistently with love right now. So he said, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, and so he's not just saying this to Cephas when he says this before them all to this community. He's saying it to all of them to hear what he's saying to Cephas. He wants Barnabas to hear this. He wants 
uh, James's disciples and, and, and crew to hear this. He wants uh, the Jewish folks who they're only being sat with with these fights to hear this. He wants the, the Gentiles who are sitting somewhere else to hear this. He goes, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? And we see this type of hypocrisy every day. And we often see it from these religious structures that, you know, focus only on sexuality or only on, you know, self-righteousness or, or we'll see it in communities who are like, well, we're really progressive. So if you don't follow the progressive ideals of, that we follow and, and you don't do these things, then you're out. You know what I mean? So you see these different communities that, that kind of have these ideas of, of who's welcome to what table or not table, you know, where, where we're eating. And, um, and, we're, and we're trying to compel people from our own freedoms. Um, I mean, for me, secret sin is not, it's not this, usually the surprise of that someone's made, sinned or done something wrong or tried to fill a void with uh, sex or money or they fell astray. You know, I'm like, to me, that's like, okay, that happens, but we're human beings. We all make mistakes. We all fall short. We all do this. That's not the, really the radical thing that's, that, that's there. It's just, I think what we always are more upset about in our gut is the hypocrisy of saying, well, you've told us all not to do this and you're doing it. You know, and you've got this in your life. And, um, and what we, we, I think if we could be more transparent, people often say, oh, Jay, I'm so grateful for your transparency. And I'm pretty transparent, but not 100% transparent with everyone. Um, but pretty as transparent as, 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 as I feel comfortable with, and, and I keep pushing myself towards it, is if we can be more transparent about our humanity. And if we could be more honest with the idea that, you know, God doesn't have any favorites, and so the pastor doesn't have any superpowers. You know, they're human beings too. Um, that often we, we want them to believe in our behalf, that we kind of project our faith onto, and, and, and hopefully, like, they become the scapegoat for us. They become the, you know, the, the perfect, you know, Messiah. We almost put them in a Messiah place, so they, they're our Messiah. Or we put ourselves in the Messiah complex, and we have to avoid those complexes in ways that we don't project them onto others or that we don't try to be the saviors ourselves. Um, there you go. So he speaks to them. It goes on to say uh, in 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, which that's pretty harsh. But I think what Paul is trying to do is trying to say like, listen guys, I get it. We see them, we Gentiles, we see these folks who aren't the same, you know, race by birth and not the same faith by birth as, as sinners. So he, he's, he's relating to what he sees. But he goes on to say, yet we know that a person is justified not by what a person, we know that a person, we know that a person is not justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, which is grace. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law because no one will be justified by works of the law, but if their effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners in Christ then servants of sin. Then, oh, wait, because then we ourselves have been found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very thing that I once tore down, then I demonstrate that I am a transgressor. So when we rebuild laws, and here's the thing that we've got is that we're not rebuilding traditional laws. You know, we're not, we're not, you know, but we create new ones. And we have a new set of the law that people have to follow. If, you know, oh, well, if they're really Christians, this will show. You know, how often do you think Christians are looking for public? Well, they're peaceful, patient, kind, you know, they have, when are we looking at the fruits, you know? Instead we think like, oh, well, there's this bad stuff and that's what, we, you know, if they do this or do that. But what happens is we've created those into works and saying this is how they're justified. You know what I'm saying? Like we've really gone into an area where well, you're justified if you believe the way I do. You're justified if, you know, you have the same heart that I do for the poor. 
or you're justified, you know, if you can see that these this politician isn't really godly, but this politician is a little bit more godly, and so this is somehow how we're justified, you know. And and so we bring in a new law, and we create a new law rather than another gospel. We create another law that we follow that says you're in and you're out, and we become a clubhouse of factions based on what laws we've decided are relevant and what aren't. I mean, you remember in the early, I mean, in the, in the 90s and the early 2000s and even in the 80s, like, you know, evangelicalism was like, you know, you can't be gay. That's the thing. Like you're, a, you know, we can't have you. I mean, I knew people, uh, uh, there was a pastor, a uh, friend of my dad who got AIDS through a blood transfusion and the church kicked him and his family out because they thought, well, this is a curse from God and you somehow got it. So this is proof that God is... You know, it's like, this was a new law. We became so focused on this sexual idea that even when I came out and said, I support LGBTQ folks and marriage and equality and all this stuff, that I was kicked out of that group. You know, who, who were, a lot of them were doing great things, but they weren't ready to have me. I even remember a uh, Lutheran, ECLA, Lutheran group having me saying like, listen, we haven't become affirming yet, but would you come so we could kind of test the waters? Because this law was so scary to everybody that they felt like, well, we'll just bring you in as kind of a sacrificial lamb because you're going to leave the next day. And if everybody gets angry, then they're angry. And, if not, and now I'm glad to say that that whole denomination is, is affirming. Um, but this is the fear of what these new laws with these in and outs, with these cancellation ideals, bring in people to the point where they're afraid of you. They're afraid of each other. And so I'm going to ask you today is, do your convictions put fear in other people? You know, and you say, well, Jay, I'm, I'm this or that. And I, I, you know, but like, do corporations, does Hollywood, do things like this support who you are? You know what I mean? Like, there, that's a, a lot of people who support your life. You know, so it's like, well, why speak truth to, to power? Pete put this thing up. It's like, I truth, preach truth to power. It just happens that all the politicians, all the people in Hollywood, you know, and all the corporations agree with me. You know, um, so it becomes a kind of a convenient thing to speak truth. And now you're only speaking truth to these, you know, radical conservative Christians. Um, but rather than trying to cast them out and push them away, why don't we bring them into the community and have the tough conversations and build better communities? And I know this might not be for everybody. Um, I know it's tough. Um, You know, and I spent most of my life fearing conservative Christians to the point where they did, they cut me loose. And when they cut me loose, revolution never came back to where it was. We never became that ministry we were in the early 2000s. You know, we had a budget. I had a staff of six. We had health insurance. I mean, you know, we were really like, oh, we're going somewhere. And I made that decision. And with weeks, I laid the whole, let the whole staff go, let everybody go. And I was a f fearful of, of those folks. You know, and now I'm holding on by a string doing this ministry, doing this community. And now I've realized I have to fear the people that I ran to for safety the first time as I have to fear them because if I don't say the right things or I, I encourage them to love their enemies or, or encourage them to like, hey, you know, we need to love certain celebrities that may have said things or certain comedians that may have said things, you know, and, and, and have hard conversations about this, these things. They go, nope, you're out. So there are some of you whose convictions are so great, but your conviction is not to restore. Your conviction is to destroy someone who does not think like you, and that's just legalism. So you may have given up legalism of conservative Christianity in the past and moved over to progressive Christianity, but really all you've done is you've just packed up your legalism and taken it with you into a different form. But the legalism is still there and still true. And legalism in any form is going to kill people and keep people out and be a clubhouse of factions, be something that promotes a clubhouse of factions. And what I'm trying to say is we can't have clubhouse of factions. I feel like the work I'm doing is very similar to the work of, um, of Russell Brand. You know, Russell Brand says, hey, you know, some people don't get, you know, I watch Russell Brand a lot, and he'll, and he'll talk a lot about like, um, uh, like, you know, the COVID shots and things like this. And, and he'll say like, okay, well, this is what we often think about, but let's look at some of the reasons why people don't get these shots. And, and he goes through and, you know, he's, what he's trying to do is humanize the other. 
you know, I've been boosted and shot and all that stuff. But what, what he's trying to say is like, let's listen, let's humanize the other because we are a community of people. If we let social media, which, are, which is the powerful elite, wealthy, uh, you know, or people like Amazon or people like the government uh, continue to separate us, they can control us. But when we come together as humans together, we can, we can, we can fight a different fight. We can love in a different way. Um, we can have tough conversations. We can actually compromise and be together. And, and honestly, I, not to spoil Galatians, but that's what Paul's asking these Galatians to do with one another is respect each other's differences and still be a community amongst each other. And to realize that ultimately what's important is us recognizing each other's humanity. You know, when I say all this stuff and I, and I repeat it, I really feel passionate about it, but I also feel really torn because I know it's like human nature. I want to have the SMMs. I kind of like legalism in a certain way if it's against people who aren't, you know, thinking more progressively or more inclusive. You know, like I want to, I want to like throw out the, the Pharisees. I want to throw out the... the the people who don't love the people I do. But unfortunately, reading the Gospels, reading Dr. King's books, which really changed me, his books just took me into a whole completely far, far, far left situation in my life where now I don't even like my own party, the Democratic Party, I, I have hard issues with and really struggle with. I think maybe I'll be more in line with someone like Cornell West. But... Um, Don't let yourself be manipulated by society or peer pressure. It's like we're back in high school. We have all this peer pressure. And that's what you saw Peter going through with only sitting with the Jewish community is that he was under this great amount of peer pressure that he was afraid could cost him dearly. And, and it just, it's tough for me. Like how many people I met when I became affirming were coming up to me saying, I want to be affirming, but I'm just afraid that I'll lose everything. Um, I remember one person that, you know, who's since passed who a lot of people just put on a pedestal hugely and think is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And they were a wonderful human being. I love them very much and I miss them. But coming to me going like, you know, I really want to come to this point of being affirming, but I have a new book coming out and I'm afraid it's going to affect my book sales, you know? And then later on, I see this person excommunicate somebody because they had it. A scandal. You know, and, and so for me, it's like I've seen this work on both sides in both ways of people being afraid and the fear causing them from taking a stand that they need to take to or following their own convictions or even loving someone who they know was wrongly convicted but was so afraid of what the mobs would do, what the people would say and how the people would feel about it that they couldn't even follow the truth that they knew was truth. And I had tough conversations with this person and with some people about these different situations. Um, and I love that, but if I build up again the very thing that I tore, once tore down. And so that's what I'm asking is like, what are, are we building up the very thing that we tore down? Are we rebuilding the same legalistic structures that we left? Are we building the same exclusive clubhouses that we tried to get out before and we left before. You know, uh, and when you've been kicked out, you know how, how that feels. And when you've lost everything, you know how that feels, you know? And if I'm to love my enemies as myself, then I should not be going into the point where I want to destroy my enemies to the point where they can't live. But I also have to speak truth to them. So it is, it is a fine line. It is complicated. It is not easy. You know, it does roll within contradictions. Um, it's, it's tough work. And, and I'm going to let you know today, this whole thing is not going to be wrapped up in Galatians 2. We still have a lot of road to travel. So remember, we're in a series here. So if I'm not answering all your questions, it's only because I feel like we haven't got completely through the series and there's, there's a time and a place to talk more about these issues. But I do want to, as you see, I do try to throw it all in. Um, 19 says, for the law, I died to the law so that I might live 
to God. I have been crucified with Christ and there is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know, so we have to realize as these old laws or these new laws that we create is that if Christianity is something that we want to follow or go through or, or think is a good idea or we really believe is, is our faith, then, you know, we have to die to those laws. And we have to be willing to be crucified with Christ where even his 12 left him. Where he was on the cross and he had to say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Because what they did was pretty awful, but he's still saying they're victims of misinformation. They've made the wrong decisions because they're making these decisions out of ignorance, out of what they don't know to do. So it goes, I now live my life in the flesh. I live faith in the Son of God. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Now this is atonement theory, and you know I have different issues with atonement theory, but I, the only how I would change this would be is, is I do not nullify the grace of God, for if I justification comes through the law, then Christ lived for nothing. That's in a way that I would see it. Um, So when we try to get people to justify being accepted by grace, we nullify grace. When we have asterisk by grace that says if they don't recognize this or they don't see this or they don't believe that, then we've nullified grace. And we kind of nullify it in our own life because I guarantee you, if you're pushing other people with laws, legalism, and standards, you're doing it to yourself. And you're probably actually living in fear yourself and not fully accepting yourself as who you are. That you aren't perfect. That you've learned things that weren't great and that you have coping mechanisms in your life that aren't fantastic or that if you see certain people, you don't, you judge them in certain ways. You know, and inside you might not want to do it, but you're tortured by it. You know, it's like, but how do we deal with it? How do we unlearn what we've learned? How do we undo some of the brainwashing that we've, we've been given? You know, and how do we accept grace in our own lives? You know, and when we're able to do that, I think we're able to kind of maybe accept grace in other people's lives. And what grace requires is nothing. And that's the beautiful thing about grace. Um, but it seems like we're always unsure about grace and who gets it and who doesn't. You know, to the point where, you know, I was thinking about the guy who wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye and he came out and said, I denounced the book, I'm done. And everybody, I saw all these mostly progressives going like, it's too late. How dare you? You know, I'm super left. I'm, I'm beyond that. Okay, guys? So I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so left that it's funny. I'm a super snowflake, okay? Uh, so, so don't try to throw me out of the club because I'm saying this stuff to you guys or because I'm being too harsh. Why would I be so harsh on progressive brothers and sisters? Because it's a body that I've been of such a big part of. There are people that I care about. There are people that I spend time with, most the majority of people. Do I hang out with some conservatives? Yes. And now some of those guys give me the, do conservatives come to this community? Of course they do, you know. But why am I so hard on, why are you so hard on me, Jay? Well, I'm hard on you because I really am concerned that you're creating a law in your life and that legalism is seeping in ways that you don't see. And I want to see you set free from that. You're still going to have contradictions in your life. But sometimes if you realize that contradictions allow us to go to a place that's not just truth and lie, sometimes two truths come together who contradict and something happens above that. It's like when Tillich says, the God above God. When the God that I understand dies, I meet the God above God. And that's where I feel God is, is it's the God above that. That's just, it is, I don't know what it is, I have a hard time, is it the ground of being, is it the vibes? Is it? No, but I know it is. So thank you, Thomas. That's what I'm doing. So I hope you guys get that. Like, so you don't think, oh, Jay's been red-pilled, you know? I remember I talked to a friend of mine when I was going to get, um, when I was going to get my shot, my COVID shot. And I said, you know, I said, just as a, just as a punk rocker, it's like, it's hard for me to be like, well, I got to do what the government's telling me to do and what big pharmaceuticals that have probably 
killed a few of my friends want me to do. And, and I, I've also been addicted to, to, you know, had horrible withdrawals from big pharma medications and things like that. And I've seen my friends get onto drugs because they couldn't afford their medications and, and destroy their lives, you know? So like, I was like, so do I really wanna, you know, <laughs> trust big farm and trust the government, <laughs> you know? And, and I'm just asking this question because I thought that's what we did on, over here on the left wing, or, or the left wing, I guess, uh, if we were watching, I don't know how it's working when you guys see screen, I, sometimes it's backwards. I'll just hit the left wing. Um, and they go, have you been red-pilled, Jay? Have you been red-pilled? Have I been red-pilled? It's like, you can't ask questions. Don't ask, these aren't questions that are allowed to be asked, so we don't ask these questions. People always give me a hard time for loving um, John Lydon or Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols because uh, he wore a support Trump shirt or something like that. And why do you like this guy? How do you agree with him? No, I don't agree with him on everything. But I also like the fact that he's willing to speak the truth even when people don't like what he says and he doesn't give a damn if he's canceled or not and I respect the hell out of that and I want that. You know, to me, that's punk rock. It's not speaking a truth that just offends, but it speaks in a truth that says, this is, this is my truth and this is what I'm putting out there. And, and, and you're welcome to speak your truth as well. Let's, let, let's find this and maybe we can find a compromise here or maybe it's even better, we can find a contradiction here a contradiction in the Hegelian sense of the word contradiction. So that's my message today, folks, is, is that this isn't easy. Um, but I'm gonna say it one more time is ask yourself, do my convictions, not even just religious convictions, but political convictions and how I treat others, do people fear that? Do people fear me? Because all I can say is that I know what the Bible says is that God is love. And the Bible also says perfect love casts out all fear. You know, have you ever been in a relationship where you knew that, like I, I've been in a romantic relationship where I felt so loved that I had no fear of this person. So when the breakup happened or the divorce happened, I was so shocked and it rattled me so much was because at one time, I'm not saying they didn't love me perfectly, but one time I, maybe they did love me perfectly and it cast out all that fear that I was so comforted in that that I was shocked when I got to this situation. And I would hope that that's more the way things go for us is that people are more shocked when they see a little legalism in us or that they, oh, you know, like, because we are trying so hard to love one another that we are allowing people to fear us less. And what I would say is, you know, I don't want to fear people, but maybe we should just respect them in the way of realizing that they are humans and humans change, ideas change, desire changes and shifts, and to realize those things. But are our convictions casting out fear or are our convictions creating fear in others? And do we want to do, uh, like Nelson Mandela in some ways, is where Nelson Mandela was imprisoned forever and then when he came into power and he could have imprisoned all the group that imprisoned him. Uh, he could have turned apartheid upside down and, and, and just reversed it. But instead he handed out grace to people for the most part. He handed out grace. And that's why we're talking about Nelson Mandela right now. It's not just because he went to the prison and became a president but because of how he responded to his enemies because he knew that repeating the same thing wasn't, it was just gonna continue to, continue a structure of, uh, of just, you know, recycling the same pain and hurt and war. And he said, no. Matter of fact, some of the folks on the presidential staff before are gonna stay on my staff now. I want them here. That's grace. That's reconciliation. That's saying these folks are going to have to change and they'll change when they're here and they're seeing, What's gonna cause you to change more that you get put in prison and then you go like, I knew I was right about them or when they say, no, I wanna hire you and keep you here and be a part of this community. What? And then your mind starts asking questions and then you start to think a lot and then you start to obsessively think of like, why do they love me when I didn't love them? You don't know what people think and feel in the middle of the night. And some of the most powerful conversion moments in my life have happened when I was laying in bed and saw how someone loved me or responded to me. Even people's boundaries in my life 
one of my close friends who's, who's had some boundaries with me, you know, I, sometimes I didn't understand these boundaries and it kind of confused me and all this stuff. And now as I've gone through my psychoanalysis, what I realized is that I was projecting something onto a person and they had to have those boundaries because I was hoping that they would fulfill some need in me that wasn't a job of a friend to fulfill. You know, I wanted them to be mom or dad. But now that I know that I have this, this void of this need in me, when I go, okay, I recognize that need, I see that need, and this need is not met in this relationship or in this friendship. Um, and I'm grateful for those boundaries. Love you guys. Listen, if you like what you're hearing and like what you're doing, um, I know times are, are tough, but we could use your support. And if you go to revolutionchurch.com, um, you can support us there. I just see Brother Steve, who hopefully I'll be hanging out with in the next couple days. Um, man, my relationship with Steve, I'm so grateful for that, but Steve is, pushes me to raise funds and, and he's right. So we could use your support right now. Revolution, you know, it's how I'm able to do this. Um, I'm actually out here doing some work with Pete on a, on a project we're working on for something really new. And also we're Wake, which go check out Pete Rollins' Facebook account. And if you can go to Wake, I really recommend it. Or if you can subscribe to watch it live or something, I really recommend it. it it's life-changing. I went, the last year I went, my life had just fallen apart and just started to feel a little bit of hope. And I went there and it just, it was so much healing and so cool. And it wasn't like super religious or anything, but just, I had some great conversations at pubs and coffee shops and heard some really amazing talks. But yeah, if you guys can support Revolution, if you go to revolutionchurch.com, the first thing up there is donation because we realize people are having a hard time finding it. So I was just like, well, let's just put it on top. Be honest, we need your support. So if you can support us, we'd be grateful. Um, I'm really excited about part three next week. Um, we'll do more of that. We'll take more comments probably. Well, I might have to record it because I got my kids, but I'll try to, when I'm doing this live, take more comments. I am in California in I have a big table, which I usually don't, so it's really hard for me to lean over and read your guys' comments. But I want to thank you. You know, I'll write one. Brian says, uh, this is so good, Jay. Thank you for these challenges and thoughtful words. Uh, thank you, Brian. That, that, I mean, that means the word to me because it, it's, it's not just challenging you guys. It really challenges me and keeps me honest. And I think about these talks when I'm out dealing with other people and in my own relationships. And not just relationships with other people and other believers or other woke people or others, but even like with my ex-wife and my, the mother of my children, you know, how we work together. These are things that I have developed in all parts of my life that I can truly say have made my life better and brought me peace. That grace, this free gift of grace that just allows me to be whatever I want to be has made me better. And I'm grateful for that. I love you all very much. I'm very grateful for this community. So thanks for listening, guys. And um, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. 